We thank you for listening to the weekly sermon of First United Methodist Church, Missouri City, Texas. We're a church that's making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. For more information about the church and its ministries or how we can pray for you, visit us on the web at fumcmc.org. If you desire to make a quick contribution in support of our ministries, you can text to give. Simply text the amount you want to give to 281-369-4870 and follow the instructions. And now, as you listen, we hope that you find this podcast meaningful and transformational in your journey of faith. Thank you, Leah, for a lesson about eggs, but more importantly, thank you for a lesson about us um, on Trinity Sunday, which is what today is. Uh, it's good to be reminded that we uh, may all be different on the outside, but on the inside, um, we are all the same. Um, so way back in the first century, there was a Roman emperor by the name of Nero, and Nero is considered by many to be one of history's, um, well, greatest of all criminals. His name has, been, has become synonymous with evil. Uh, he killed his stepbrother. He killed his wife. He killed his mother out of just being worried and paranoid that somehow they were going to overthrow him and take over as uh, pharaoh, as emperor, as king. But most of all, he was probably the emperor who mistreated uh, Christians the worse. History tells us that, that Nero would throw these parties, and in order to make light for the parties, he would round up followers of Jesus, he would put them on post and light them by fire uh, to act as torches, human torches. Not among the kindest, sweetest, gentlest of, empire, of emperors. Well, Paul, the apostle, was in prison when all of this was going on, and no one had to tell Paul just how evil Nero really was. And Paul, when he was in prison writing letters to his churches, especially to the church in Philippi, he talks about Nero and the emperor and, and the persecution that was awaiting um, Christ followers. And in the letter to Philippians, that's what he kind of deals with in the first chapter of that letter. He, he urges the church and the folks to stay strong, to remain faithful, no matter what the cost. And so he, he spends the first part of this letter to the Philippians making this argument that no matter what happens to them, no matter what the emperor might do, no matter what society might say, they are to stay strong and not waver in their faith. And then Paul finishes the first chapter right? And then he begins this, what we call the second chapter. And for some unknown reason, Paul switches gears. He goes from encouraging people to stand firm against Nero to writing words like this. 
If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete, be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interest, but to the interest of others. He goes from reminding people to stay faithful, to stand against the emperor, to having one mind, one love, one spirit, and to be nice to each other, to serve each other, and be humble. Now, that's what Paul did. Now, I'm not one to question Paul, but if I was writing the letter, I probably would have done things slightly different. I think I would have continued talking about the danger Nero posed and how the church folks can stay faithful. You know, maybe he could offer a course that says, uh, that's called Seven Habits of Highly Faithful Christians, or, or maybe a workshop that he can teach so that, so that people would know what words they should say right before they are crucified, right before they are, 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 are torched, right before they are beheaded, so they would, they would stay faithful and know what to say and what not to say. Or at the minimum, after all that encouragement, Paul could have at least given one or two ways people could stay firm, could stand against the evil empire. But Paul chose a totally different angle. Now, like I said, I would have done it differently, but Paul did it better. You see, Paul knew that the real challenge for people had nothing to do with the emperor, not Nero, not any emperor. Paul knew that the real challenge for people weren't the powers uh, of government or of politics or of the people who, or of the army or the military. Paul knew that the real struggle for the church in the first century was for them to stay of one mind, one spirit, looking to the interest of others more than themselves. And for Paul, that was central to his theology. And the reason why it was so important is because Paul had this understanding of God. Yes, Paul was a Jew, and, and he was raised a Jew, and, but he was converted, and somewhere in that conversion to being a follower of Jesus, Paul developed this understanding of what we call the Trinity, or the triune nature of God. Well, today is Trinity Sunday, and, and uh, when I was an associate, it was the Associate Pastor's Sunday, 
because most senior pastors didn't want to preach on the Trinity because trying to explain that was just too difficult. In fact, mention the word Trinity and church folks and, and, and even preachers tend to uh, glaze over. They don't quite get how the doctrine of the Trinity really speaks to them right here, right now. But for me, like Paul, the Trinity is central to my theology. And personally, I think it's, it's, it's what makes God so alive and so exciting. Now, you'll hear a lot of sermons uh, and lessons about uh, trying to explain the Trinity, the, the mystery of it all. And, and I've heard them, and, and, and I can say I've not used them, but, but I've heard them. I've heard, I've heard some preachers um, compare Trinity to, to water, that the water can be uh, either uh, a solid as ice, uh, a gas as steam, or liquid as, as water itself. But while it has three different natures, it is still just water. Well, that's... That's a weak explanation. And I've heard people say, well, you're like the Trinity. Well, what do you mean? Well, you're Marty, you're one person, but yet you are um, you're, you're your sister's brother, you're your mom's son, and you're Connor and Zach's dad. One person, three different relationships. But neither of those explanations come close to explaining the mystery of the Trinity. In fact, uh, to try to explain it is, well, it's just impossible. It's beyond anything we can understand, but the best description of it was given by a, a saint, St. John of Damascus. And he used this uh, technical term to to describe what was going on in the Trinity, uh, perichoresis. Now, perichoresis comes from two Greek words, uh, peri, which is Greek for around, and choresis, which refers to movement. In fact, it's where we get our word uh, choreography. And in St. John of Damascus' understanding of the Trinity, uh, that, is, that is how the Trinity operated. They moved around each other. They served each other. They gave themselves to one another. And because of what St. John uh, described and how his understanding was, um, later, the Trinity is often talked about as the dance of God. A dance where, where God the Father gives to God the Son, and the Son gives to God the Spirit, and the Spirit gives back to God the Father. And the Father receives from the Spirit, and the Spirit receives from the Son, and the Son receives from the Father. And in this dance, in this trinity, there is no selfishness. There is nothing but giving and receiving in this amazing interconnected relationship of love, of grace, of peace. And what makes this whole thing so exciting for me is God didn't, well, God didn't reserve that just for 
him. God invites us to join him in this dance. In fact, God invites all of creation to dance. See, that's the Trinity, and that is central to understanding what Paul was writing about to the Philippians. See, but what Paul does, he doesn't stop with just an invitation to join the dance with God. He brings it even further. Listen to what he says in verse, in verse 3. Verse 3, he says this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Three and four. See, the word that Paul uses for others is a, is a Greek word, alion. And, and alion literally translates to other. Very cleverly done. But in the translation to other, it is a, a, an understanding that goes along with that, that word. And when Paul chooses that word to use, his early readers would have gotten it immediately. See, Paul wasn't talking about having one mind with those who you like. He isn't talking about uh, thinking more highly of someone who is just like you or that you normally would hang out with. Paul is literally talking about others. Talking about all sorts of of people. He's talking about the person who most gets under your skin. He's talking about the one that you have nothing in common with, the one who makes your blood boil, the one who sucks the life energy right out of you. And what Paul says is if we can learn to love and accept that person, then we may be closer to understanding how God loves and accepts us. Well, what Paul says, if, if I can learn to not hold the past against those people, against others, then maybe I'll understand what it means for God to not hold my past against me. And if we can actually think more highly of others, of those people, with all of their flaws, we may better understand the God who embraces and loves us with all of our flaws. Or to use my language, if I can see the other as being the best of the best of the best, then maybe I can begin to understand how God sees me as the best of the best of the best. So maybe on this Sunday when we celebrate the dance, when we celebrate the mystery of the Trinity, maybe for just a moment we can pause and think about what might happen 
if we actually took Paul's words seriously. Now, I'm not really sure what the first century looked like. I don't know what it was like to live back then. But I sure know what our world looks like. I know what our country looks like. I know what our church, the United Methodist Church, the Universal Church, looks like. We have become a divided, I'm right, you're wrong group of people. If someone has a different opinion than us, we demonize the other. Someone posts something uh, that you disagree with on Facebook, we destroy that person. And when I think about that, I, 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 I think of the invitation that God gives us to dance. And I think how much God's heart must break. Because that's not what he intended for creation. It's not what he intended for us. See, he invites us to this dance of giving, of receiving, of serving, and being served. He invites us to that dance so that not only can we enjoy it, but that we can share it. But we've become so busy arguing and fighting making our point, making sure that we're understood, that we miss the beauty of the dance. We argue, do we kneel or do we not kneel? Do we wear a mask or do we not wear a mask? Do we choose the side of, jo of George Floyd or, or do we choose the side of law enforcement? Are we Republican or Democrat? Are we black, white, or brown? Are we rich? Are we poor? Are we gay? Are we straight? Are we liberal or conservative? We have all these labels and it's just tiring and it's heartbreaking. You know, Paul was a lot smarter than me. Paul knew that the problem wasn't going to be something out there. It wasn't going to be with the emperor or the president or the congress or the mayor or those who are in charge. Paul understood that the problem was going to be with the people in the church. Look, Here's what I know. I can't control what happens in uh, uh, Minneapolis. I can't control what happens in downtown Houston. I can't control what happens in uh, the, uh, the Missouri City. I, I, I can't. But Paul says I can control how I am. Paul tells me that, that I can join in the dance and that I can control how I am going to treat you. And Paul begged the church and Paul begs me 
I think Paul begs you to just step back and to take a deep breath. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not for your own interest, but to the interest of others. Imagine what our world would look like. Imagine what our country would look like. Imagine what our church would look like if that was the dance we joined we wouldn't need to remember anything else and on this Trinity Sunday I, I, I believe that God invites us to this dance a, a dance that that started on a Thursday night when uh, Jesus gathered his closest followers. And in the midst of celebrating just how great God really is, Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks and he blessed it. And then he broke it. And then he gave it to those who were in the room. And then uh, about the time everyone got a piece, he grabbed a cup and, and he gave thanks and he blessed it and he offered it. And he said, uh, this bread, this is my body broken for you. This cup, this is my blood shed for you. And then he passed it around and everyone in the room took the bread, dipped it, and ate. And then according to the gospel, they sang a hymn, had a prayer, and went out into the world. Today we celebrate the Eucharist. Hopefully in front of you, you have a, some bread, some juice, something. We're often taught that Eucharist means um, to give thanks, and I think that's a good translation, but, but I think there's a better one. U, E-U is Greek for good, and charis is gift. And in the breaking of the bread and the sharing of the cup, we are given a good gift, but then we are called to be a good gift to the world. And how do we do that? No selfish ambition or conceit, but think highly of the other than you do yourself. And join God in the dance. So I invite you to take your bread, take your juice, and receive a good gift. Let us pray. Gracious God, you have been good to us, for you have given us not just the gift of bread and of wine, 
but you have given us the gift of one another. People who love us even when we mess up. People who pray for us. People who hold on to us. People to hug us when we're down. People to laugh with us when we're up. People to do life together. To dance together. So help us to live as, as you called us to live. Giving, receiving, serving, being served. And we'll be so faithful to give you the honor and the glory and the praise. For to your son's name we gather. In his holy name we pray. Amen. And now would you join me in the prayer that Jesus taught us, praying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen. And now if you'll hold hands with those people who are around you and would you receive this benediction and now may the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you, give you peace both now and forever. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, go from this place. And may the peace and the love and the grace of God go with you. May you know, may you remember, may you never forget that there is nothing you can do, nothing that will ever make God love you less because when God sees us, he doesn't see the mistakes that we make. He simply says, wow, you are nothing but the best of the best of the best. And can you imagine what your day would be like if you lived it believing that? But, and can you imagine what your day would be like if you lived it believing that the other is the best of the best of the best? I think you both would have a pretty good day. Take care, God bless, and we'll see you Tuesday night, 6.30.